0: Welcome to Terminal Talk, episode 21. Old enough to drink. Coming of age.
1: A very special episode of Terminal Talk with Frank and Chef.
0: And while we're really excited about the upcoming TechU, which oh, is yeah. next week.
1: Next week. Can't wait. Got my bags packed.
0: Right now we have a really cool interview with Azim Mohammed, who is an SMS expert.
1: Yeah, storage is pretty important on the mainframe, and uh, Azim knows
0: about all of it. Cool. So let's listen. Here comes another fresh episode of Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. We're here with uh, Azim Mohammed, who's going to talk to us about SMS, which I believe is a really cool uh, messaging.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I get something from an Android, it shows up green. From uh, uh, Apple device, it shows up blue. What color does
2: Mainframe show up as? Yeah, main tra- Mainframe is always like green and black. So <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> cool. You got a yeah. Did not know do, that. Right. Yeah. So that's that's not the real SMS, is it? Right. It, it's actually called uh, DFSMS, so Data Facility Storage Management System. Oh, another facility? Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right.
1: Oh, wow, it's a facility uh, and a system. Yeah. yeah.
2: So. Uh, I have, um, I don't know if you have heard Ginny talking about in one of her town halls that how IBM transformation can be described in one word, and that one word is data. So guess what? Who manages data on mainframe? It's DFSMS, which is responsible for managing everything. And, um, there are a lot of products under DFSMS. Df- under DFSMS, you have products, which is, which is, one of the product is HSM, which is responsible for Managing the backups and recovery of your data. Uh, it's responsible for migration of your data because your data is always moving from one tier to another tier because a lot of customers, what they do is they want to keep their online data on the DS8000s, which are the latest generations of uh, storage devices out there.
0: And HSM stands for He's So Manly?
2: <laughs> it's a Hierarchy Storage Management okay. System, I believe. Uh, I should know these by now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's amazing how, how far you can get without knowing what things yeah, stand right? for. Right. And just, yeah, yeah it's,
2: it's this. Yeah, there are a lot of acronyms. Uh, there is HSM. <laughs> there is uh, RMM, which is responsible for tape, tapes because you are also putting your data on the tapes devices as well that are being used. People Uh, still use tapes? Oh, yeah, a lot of people still use tapes. Because, like I said, I mean, putting the data on the DASD is pretty costly because those boxes uh, cost a lot. So a lot of customers, what they do is if they are not using their data for a while, they will archive those data to the tape devices. uh, And and DASD, what's DASD? Uh, DASD is basically a storage controller. Uh, It's direct access storage Devices, I believe it's called. That works. Uh, yeah, checks <laughs> out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so DASD is you 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 have a data and you need some place to store it. So DASD is bunch of uh, disk drives um, that are that are um, managed through the uh, preprocessor. So it's a big iron box, just like mainframe, uh, and you have uh, your data on it.
1: And it can be spinny disks or solid state drives. So, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. But a lot of uh, nowadays, a lot of customers are using. A solid straight drive, because it's much faster than spinning disks. Um, it's amazing. I mean, when I started my career with IBM, um, the storage used to be not as um, cheap as it, it is now. So on a, on a typical box, you have probably a couple of terabytes of DASD. I think the one I saw w- we have in our group was about 20 terabytes only. That's a raw space, and then once you configure your box, you're going to lose some for the uh, for the backup and all that stuff. But nowadays the, we get the DASD boxes, and they are about 200 terabytes, 300 terabytes, which is amazing. And they usually come with the solid straight drives, and they are a lot faster. So it seems like IBM is doing a good job with keeping up customers' demand and uh, uh, having all these new storage devices available.
1: Now, now the uh, the the thing about, uh, Ginny said is everything comes down to data. Yep. And you're the guy that does all the data. Yeah.
2: You must be a pretty busy guy. I am. I actually, I think it's a. I, I think I have a pretty good role, and I like working with storage because the thing is that when you are a new hire or when you're working with uh, in in the storage area, you are kind of working with the whole team. So you are managing the data for the whole team, right? So. So th- that's the thing I like about staying in storage is that I get to I get an exposed to the other things that I'm not really involved with like if I if there is a new project comes in the guy comes to me and he tells me hey I need I need you to set up the routines for me I want them to have backups in place I want to have the migration in place and there are different data for different functions within that specific uh product right so you got to get an overview of how that product works so so I think that's a big plus for working in storage area where you have to work with the whole team and you kind of get the overall picture of how Z works. And uh, I, I think I learned a lot through that. So
0: you You started out with something that's really important. I think a lot of us who are probably more server heads don't think that much about what it takes to get the data to a program, right? Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about storage tiering and why that's important?
2: Right. So, so the main reason is the cost, basically. Because, like I said, I mean, you have, you have a box which could cost a couple of hundred thousand dollars, and then you have some tape devices which can cost a couple of thousand dollars, right? So, customer is always looking to save, uh, save money, right? So, what they do is they usually set up, and in DFSMS, everything works on, on routines. So, you have to set up routines for everything. So, With the storage trading you get an advantage that if you have an online workload, you can tell your uh, SMS setup that, hey, I need to have that data on this tier one storage, which is the DASD for that many days. And then if it's not in use for that many days, then just migrate data to the second tier, which could be a lower level box which doesn't have solid straight drives and which doesn't have which just have spinning disks or it could be the tape drives right so so this way they are and that process is always automatic so you don't really don't once you set up your routines you don't have to worry about that um so so this way you can just set up your tiers you don't have to worry about the c- cost that much and then you uh, HSM take care of you for for that
0: now, does HSM allow you to define as many tiers as you want, or is it tier one, tier two? I think there going? are
2: only three tiers at this point. There's tier one, which is your where online data DASD is, then tier Tier two is usually the less expensive, task, and then tier three is usually where the tapes are. So,
0: and tapes—that's like uh, in the old '60s movies with the drives—and or is it not
2: anymore? But uh, <laughs> we used to have those uh, those on the floor uh, when I when I started. There was a big, gigantic uh, tape library with a big robotic arm in it. Oh, yeah. it was like. Ten feet t- tall, and then I think
1: it came out of like an auto assembly facility. Yeah.
2: Too. <laughs> exactly. Like you could feel it moving yeah. around. Right. Right. It was pretty scary. I mean, the, <laughs> watching it moving around, and then sometimes it used to throw tapes because it couldn't handle them. So there was tapes all over on the floor. <laughs> so that must have been cool to watch. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Right. Sort
0: of like Jeff when he's mad. That's, That's like yeah. some Final Destination yeah. stuff, right there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah.
2: But nowadays uh, tapes are pretty, tape libraries are pretty advanced and there are no spinning disks. I mean, there are still uh, slots in the tape libraries. Uh, it's a big iron box and you have different slots in it. And then you have a robotic arm that you kind of manage through your systems to tell it where the tapes are located. And then when you need them, those tapes, you tell the system, hey, I need to do a recall. That robot knows where the tape is actually, that where the tape resides actually. And then it goes, grab the tape, put it in the tape drive, and then uh, the system can read from there. So that's how... And those tapes
0: look more like cartridges today. Exactly. Right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. Back in the 70s, we had these 8-track tape cartridges. It looked a right. lot like
1: that. So it's it's more like your 8-tracks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right, right.
2: Yeah, I think back then, it was like few meg of data you could store on tape, right? right? Nowadays, you can have like an up to 1 terabyte or 2 terabyte of data on a single tape. From and, a,
1: and from what I understand, the, the, uh, the tape storage systems do a lot of... Um, Optimization and kind of defragmenting, where there's like the virtual tape drives, and it kind of holds stuff in memory until it actually needs to yeah, write it out. Right, right. So yeah. it's 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 a lot more smart than Frank's eight-track player.
0: Yep. yep. Hey, that one button that switched direction—that <laughs> was—that's amazing. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes it would automatically do it. Wow. This is this is actually pretty cool when you, you start to think about uh, the fact that I set up. Uh, these these tiers is is there a policy that you create and is it is it english or do you have to kind of yeah.
2: yeah so we we have a we have a we have something we call the routines in sms so you have routines for you for, so basically there are four different type of routines there are data class routines there are storage class routines there are migration class routines and then there are storage class storage group routines sorry so data class routines are usually there for the allocation purposes. So, when you get a data, you need to know how much space you need on the desk disk drive. So, that's where the d- uh, data class routines comes in. Storage class are usually with the performance stuff, um, like what the performance attributes that you need to assign to your data sets. Management class routines are usually there for the for the migration for the for the uh, I believe for retention purposes, like mm-hmm. how much backup you need on your data, like if you need to do weekly backups or monthly backups. Um, uh, and then it keeps that in, in its the in its databases. So so that's where with the retention. And then the storage group routines are for the placement. for Like if you want to place your data on a tier one DASD, which could be SSDs, if you want to do it on tier two DASDs, which are spinning disks, or if you just want to move it to the tape directly. So, so that's all. So everything worked based on routines. So if you are new to the system, you can mess those up. So you could unintentionally put a tier one data on a tape. It has happened to me once. <laughs> <laughs> once. Yeah, once only. Uh, uh, but uh, you make mistakes, mistake, and then you learn from them, and I think um, that's how. So, so where do you
0: define the policies? Is this something you put in ParmLib, or is it?
2: Yeah, th- so... It it has its own palm, kind of a palm life uh, data sets where you have all those routines uh, stored, and then SMS has its own control data sets, and it goes through those. Uh, you specify where the routines are. SMS goes through it, and then make sure that this is what it needs. It validates it, and then it uh, activates those routines. So
1: so something that's uh, I've always kind of been curious about is we have you can look at one of these you know DS eighty eight eighty boxes or whatever and you can see that it's full of like two and a half inch drives right. standard two and a half inch drives, um, yet when you configure it on ZOS it it's all in terms of tracks and cylinders and thirty three ninety like
2: what what why is that Yeah, it's it's all logical, right? So when you get a basically a new box, you have to configure it logically. So. So on those actual disk drives, you kind of pair them into smaller groups, and then you, um, you define ranks, you define extents on those actual physical disk drives, and then you logically create your volumes, and each volume could have multiple cylinders. So I think um, the minimum size could be one cylinder volume. You can go up to one terabyte of uh, cylinder volume size. So um, this way, it, it all depends what your customer is asking you to do, right? So when we get a new box in our environment, uh, I usually talk to the people first to see what are their requirements, right? And once I gather all the requirements... You uh, cut them in half. Yeah. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh, and then based on those requirements, I kind of carve out my box and then let people use it. Because so. you're not
1: just... Uh, when people think about a mainframe who who might not know, they think... Oh there's a computer obviously there's hard drives inside of it. Yep, yep. Um but you're connected to multiple
2: systems in the back and like uh-huh. how much storage is Azim Muhammad responsible for? So in my environment we have about eight different DS88 eight, eight, DS8000 from different generation from 8300 to the latest one which are DS8880 and we have about uh 300 terabytes of data that we are currently managing. Uh, and I, I have I have some help too, so I'm not the only one. Right, uh, and managing. then you've got all the tape. Yeah, which tapes is another are another yeah, keeping
1: spoonful of terabytes. Right. Tapes <laughs> are on
2: also on top of that. So it's a, it's a pretty busy job. I mean, besides just managing, you always have people coming to you because they cannot access their data, so you got to help them out. Sometimes the data set get corrupted, so you have to look into the backups. Sometimes people unintentionally wipe, wipe out their de- data, so then. Uh, you have to go and figure out how you're going to recover it if you don't have the backups available. So
0: sometimes the people you work with intentionally erase your data.
1: Yeah, right, right. Yep. <laughs> sometimes you forget to change a line in the copy yeah. jobs, and yep, yep, you know. yep.
2: <laughs> I have seen all those things happening. So,
1: <laughs> but and, and just like you can have one box accessing multiple um, DS, you know, eight thousand boxes you can have multiple boxes 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 yeah. <laughs> multiple uh <CACs laughs> accessing the same, same ds 8000 yeah. so it's 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 very different from the way that you, know, you right. think about setting up a hard drive
2: right that's know. that's a beauty of mainframe like you can have multiple we call them zos jobs or address spaces access the same volume um, and then have to doesn't have to wait in line. I mean, you don't have to wait in... Like, I think in in open systems, you, when you are trying to access data, only one address space or one user can access that particular file, right? But in mainframe, you can have multiple users kind of access the same file, and then they can read it from here.
0: So you, you talked... I want to go back to your description of tracks and cylinders and stuff like that. When I think of a track, I think of it as one ring all the way around a disc, mm-hmm. right? But we're talking about some pretty small discs, right? right. So um, is that the track we're thinking of? It's is the it?
2: same concept. Like, they built it on the same concept. So um, even though you don't have the big spinning disc anymore, but one track is still considered um, the same. It, it uses the same logic that it, it has uh, used before back in the 70s. So. Right. So,
0: But does it define that track size the way it would say a 3390 an old 3390. Yeah, right. Okay so so we're using an old um, track mm-hmm. model. Right. Um, that we've just now is there a certain amount of space associated with that or is it
2: So I think in in track in one track uh, I have to look up but there are a couple of megabytes of data. So I usually do the math in, in cylinder so if you have 15 tracks then it makes one cylinder. Um, and one cylinder is about one gig in size on actual disk space, so if you have like a three gig volume, then that's equates equalate, equates to three gig of space on actual disk. So if you have five thousand three uh, mart, we call the three thousand volume three three thousand cylinder volumes that is mart three. So if you have uh, five thousand volumes, then you can pretty much consume the whole disk. So,
0: but I, I think you know wh- what we just talked about is really important if if you're a Z person and you go to allocate a data set and it says, well, you know, uh, define how many tracks or how many cylinders you need, the the information you just gave is really, really important, right? Because right? a cylinder, at least in my mind, a cylinder was, if a track is all the way around yep. a disk, a cylinder is a one spot straight down. Yep, right? and, with 15 uh, tracks. Right, So, and we used to do that because... It would be faster, right? If yeah. I had all this stuff that
1: way. Yeah, because the drive head could, would be in the same physical place.
0: Exactly.
1: Even though on a modern system, that one track could span eight yeah. different physical <laughs> disks. Yep. yep.
0: yep. <laughs> but so, but the the fact that I'm sitting, I'm sitting uh, at the allocation, you know, about to allocate a data set, understanding what a track means to a modern mm-hmm. um, allocator, understanding oh. If I want a gig that's a cylinder, okay, now I can figure out how many I think I need. Do we do thin provisioning in that space, or do we actually say, oh, he needs a cylinder, I'm going to block off? So
2: we we have recently came out with thin provisioning on the latest boxes. Uh, I think it was announced last year, so anything which is older than last year doesn't support thin provisioning. But in the in the latest DS8880s, uh, thin provisioning is available on Z. It's been available on on the open side for quite some time now, but recently they announced it for thin provisioning too. So, and what
0: is thin provisioning?
2: So you really don't have to have actual space allocated on the DASD. Um, you just tell the system, "Hey, I need three gig of f- space," and if you if you don't use that much three gig of space, then it's not going to allocate that much, right? So If you only need, it depends on, it's a kind of an on demand space allocation, right? So if you request three gig, but you're only going to use one gig, it's just going to give you one gig of actual space and it's going to save the rest uh, on the side. So a lot of customers are interested in that because it's, it saved them a lot of space and a lot of uh, money down the road. So
0: So let's say I, I say I need uh, three gig of space and so I allocate three and, and, I'm, I'm taking a number of pictures of Jeff in compromising positions. Mm-hmm. And there will be a large number of them because he does a lot of stuff. Um, what happens when I... Sorry, Mom. <laughs> what happens when I hit that 3.1 gig? Do I,
2: so you will get a out-of-space condition. So in, in Z, what happens is th- it asks you to try to get another volume if you need more space on that. Or what you can do is you can actually expand that particular volume. So you, you have a capability on, on DS8K that you can log on to the DS8K panel and then you say, okay, three gig I have maxed out. So if I need more, you can allocate more in that. So this way you can add more more space onto a particular volume, or the other option is just go to the next volume, which is in line, and then start allocating pictures on that pack <laughs> <laughs> but, but
0: is that something that you would have to do i have
2: to right. I have to take actions because once we hit the out of space condition then I have to take actions to see what the next uh, thing to do. And wow.
1: So when it says contact your storage administrator, there is actually a storage administrator yes, to contact. Yes. I, right, I right. just
0: thought that meant you're out of luck to go <laughs> go reallocate a new data set and yeah, do right, a right. copy. Yeah.
2: yeah, luckily we have an option to expand your data sets <laughs> with this. Uh,
1: now, the the, uh, the whole pervasive encryption thing. Oh, yes. Has
2: that changed uh, what, what you do quite a bit? I have. I have uh, I actually had a privilege to work with the whole team on that because... Pervasive encryption is 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 a big thing, as you know, uh, with the Z14 announced, and a lot of customers are interested in that, mainly because if you are a storage administrator or if you are a security administrator, you should be able to set it up very easily. Um, I have seen some products where I have to spend days just to understand how that's going to set up, right? But with pervasive encryption, like you said, I mean, if you know your, uh, if you know your, what you're doing, then you should be able to set up within a few hours or within a day or so. And with that, I mean, you are basically encrypting your data from end to end. So you have your data which is on the DASD that is also being encrypted, Mm -hmm. plus the data which is in flight is also being encrypted with pervasive encryption. Uh, and I don't think any other platform other than Z has that kind of capability to encrypt. Um, I know a lot of customers were looking into it in the past, but the reason they couldn't do it because of the performance hit they you have with the encryption, but with the Z14, um, that problem is also resolved. So there is not a big performance um, hit with, with the pervasive encryption. So do
1: you have a special, like, class of disk that you know is is encrypted and
2: well, you can encrypt anything. It doesn't have to be on any, e- on any particular DASD. So the encryption is being done by the software side. So it's not being done on the DASD side, right? So with pervasive encryption, you can, ha- you can have your data on the latest boxes, which are DS8880s mm-hmm. or older generations, which are DS8870s or even DS8700s or like that. So, uh. I think it, it has a big potential out there because w- with all the news we see in, in the news, with the data breaches and all that, so I think mainframe is, is really uh, on upfront on that one. So
1: And all this migration and, and the pervasive encryption is completely transparent to the application and to the user, which is...
2: In, in some cases, it is transparent. Mostly transparent yeah. to the user. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. yep. Uh, because in some cases, you cannot encrypt your existing data. Right? So you have to create new data and then copy all the data into the new data. Right, okay. So in order to copy it, you have to take your application down. But it doesn't have to be down for a long time. So once your application is down, you can move data from non-encrypted data sets into encrypted data sets, and then um, you're good to go.
0: But I don't have to change my code Right. Right. that's happen. the, that's the
2: to... Right, that's the thing. You don't have to t- make a lot of changes on your application sides. And it's all being handled by DFSMS, basically, to run, to do the encryption.
0: What about compression? Um, do you guys handle compression?
2: Yeah, compression we we handle it different ways. So there is a um, there is a hardware compression. Z thirteen and Z fourteen came up with the new compression card called ZEDCs. Uh, So we use them to do the compression. Uh, We use the native compression on the software side as well. But I must say that ZEDC compression is much faster compared to the software compression, which is out there. And we have been compressing a lot of data. Usually, customers use compression to ar- uh, to compress their archive stuff. Uh-huh. Like a lot of subsystems like DB2 IMS does a lot of archiving for backup purposes, for recovery purposes. So customers tend to compress those data sets because they are only needed in time of recovery. So if they're taking a lot of space on the DASD, then it's waste of space. So if they use the EDC compression, uh, it's going to be much faster, and then they're going to get uh, good results and save a lot of space on the DASD.
1: So that lets you, it gives you one more option before pushing it off the tape and having the uh, yeah. Iron Mountain companies right, come by. Right, right, <laughs> right,
2: right, right. Even tape can do compression, too. Uh, tapes can do encryption as well, so you can have encrypted data on the tapes, too. If it's not on the DASD, it can be encrypted on the tapes. So, so there's a whole encryption capability available across the Z platform with either hardware encryption, software com- uh, encryption, or both.
1: Can you do both compression and encryption? Com- uh, compr- yeah, okay. we, we have
2: actually tested it, and I was kind of curious what comes first, if it compresses first or if it encrypts first, so I found out that it actually compresses first and then does the encryption. So huh.
0: yeah, It's kind of hard to compress encrypted right. data. Yeah, random yeah, strings. Right, yeah. right, right, right. right. <laughs> so um, did you say at the age of five, mommy, I want to do DASD when I grow up? <laughs> yeah, were you putting things into <laughs> containers?
2: And... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, but I was always fascinated with how much space we usually have on the laptops uh, and how fast it's it's changing. Like in, in the old days with the laptops, you could only get few gigabytes of data, and then nowadays, I mean, storage is a lot cheaper. And when I got hired, I mean, I got interviewed in in development, in service, and in test. Um, The thing which got me in test was they just took me to the race floor right away, and then where I saw all the iron boxes, and I was like, okay, I'm sold. <laughs> because... Truly, I mean, if you're a developer, you're just working on your component, you're just sitting in your office and you're coding and that's it, right? With the test, the beauty is that you're kind of working in a customer-like in in my environment, we have pretty much a customer-like setup. So we are like a true customer shop. Um, And we can assume any role i can be a storage administrator i can be a database administrator i can be a system programmer right um but what i like about storage is that you get to work with the whole team you're working with the whole team you have kind of a key to the kingdom where you can managing you're managing everyone's data and you have a lot of responsibility because you don't want to break their subsystems you don't want to mess up with their data right so uh, so you got to be careful. So you, the, you
1: and the network guy,
0: yeah, net, whoever. Was we the got the to blame somebody. Yeah, <laughs> It <Right? laughs> can't yeah. be the app. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's got to be the DASD. Yeah,
2: I I have seen cases where people have erased the whole DASD and it have impacted the whole group, not just one group, but across multiple groups. And, oh yeah. and that that. That was uh, something. As long as there's
0: somebody to blame. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people blame me for for not (laughs) if their stuff is not
2: working. Hey, I think there is something wrong with the data set. I cannot access it, so I have to go look up and see what's going on.
0: Awesome. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: If you can't find something valuable in that conversation, there's something wrong with you.
1: I feel like I always say this, but I really wish I could have listened to this podcast when I first started working on the platform. So many questions, you know, uh, 15 uh, year ago, Jeff would have been like, oh, okay, I got it now. I got it now.
0: Yeah, I love that description of uh how I convert tracks and cylinders into real sizes.
1: Yep, yep. I don't know if I was just stupider back then and didn't get it or it just wasn't explained to me that way. But I definitely get it now.
0: I think it wasn't explained that well.
1: Maybe a combination of the two.
0: <laughs> I doubt it.
1: Speaking of SMS, which is a form of contacting people, there are many ways which you can contact this podcast. Uh first off, contact at terminaltalk.net for
0: email and at Terminal Talk on the Twitters. And we're always checking the mainframe subreddit, slash r slash mainframe.
1: Uh, That's about it. Looking forward to seeing you all at TechU
0: next week. Talk to you then. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.